Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm excited to be back this episode. Um, we've got a recurring guest, a good friend of the, the family here in the Disaster Podcast team, and we're excited to have him back joining us. But before we can introduce him, I must always consider and introduce my co-host, Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam. Hey, Jamie. Anything exciting going on on the East Coast? No, it's, um, you know, it's that dreary February, early March weather, I think, where we just have like rain and cold, not enough, not cold enough to snow and not warm enough to be comfortable outside. So it is what it hmm. is. But this is yeah. what the, well, the flowers come out of all this. So, I, you know, the everything's going to start greening up before I know it. Well, I saw something the other day about the uh, the blossoms, uh, the, the pink ones, the blo- blossoms coming out early this year. Oh, the cherry blossoms down in D.C.? Yeah. The cherry blossoms, yeah. yeah. That's what yeah. I was trying to say. They come out early sometimes, and um, so they, they, it's hard for people to plan to go there for the cherry blossom festival because usually the festival is after the cherry blossoms have bloomed. So. Oh, well. If they didn't have any cherry blossoms, that would be a bummer. Yes. It's hard to have a festival around something that isn't there. Yes. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. We have our friend Dan Zaner here with us tonight, who's always fun. Hi, Dan. Hello. Good to uh, good to be with you guys again. And, yeah, I'm uh, looking outside in our backyard and seeing some uh, bushes, flowering bushes started to flower and other things starting to... Uh, come out and and uh yeah the rain is nearly over but then it starts wildfire season so you know <laughs> yeah oh my god you guys on the always West hazards Coast. on the brain Ah, <laughs> oh, you've had it rough this year for sure um last week and i and I, I tell you through this entire podcast i kept thinking about you and nary um, so I want to kind of see how these two things work out. So last week we talked with Cody, uh, Colby Barrett. Uh, he's with the Geostabilization International, and he's a Marine Corps veteran, lawyer, engineer, and, and a number of other things. But, you know, that was something new for us as far as geostabilization. Uh, they're actually the biggest mitigation firm, and I'll get back to that word mitigation in a minute. Um, and they have teams available to quickly respond to natural disasters and develop short and long-term strategies to improve the infrastructure with the main goal of keeping the public safe. And that's kind of what you guys are doing. Um, just because there may actually be somebody who doesn't know who you are, although I think that's probably impossible, tell them who you are and what NERI does so they can get an idea of how we're going to juxtapose this yeah, so NERI is a, a very long acronym uh, for Natural Hazards Engineering Research Infrastructure, and we're funded by the National Science Foundation um, to really study and bring to the world like how do, do hazards like hurricanes and earthquakes and coastal erosion and tsunami and things like that interact with the built environment, and how can we help our, our society be more resilient to these hazards? One of the things we like to say is there, there's no such thing as a natural disaster. It's actually just the intersection of a hazard with people living where the hazard happens. <laughs> um, and they tend to do that a lot. 
And they tend to do that a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we take the scientific and engineering approach to it. And then uh, one of the roles of the part of NERI that I'm a, uh, that I work for, the network coordination office, is technology transfer. And so helping people like, uh, like Colby and, uh, and researchers um, who are interested in, in bringing what they're doing into practice uh, actually bring that research into the real world, like uh, updating building codes and coming up with new technologies for, for mitigating hazard effects and, and things like that. And so that is a big part of our mission is the broader impact of not just taking data just for data's sake, but taking data so that we can actually be more resilient as a society to all these hazards through new technology, new approaches, new building codes, stopping building in places where it tends to flood so often, <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of kind of narrowing in a nutshell. And if, if anybody listening wants to really take a deep dive on the policy side of NERI, there was just a really amazing uh, congressional hearing. Like, I'm not the kind of person who watches C-SPAN for fun or really ever. Um, but uh, there was a, a hearing recently on the, the, the committee that is uh, in charge of appropriating our tax funds to the National Science Foundation and, and other uh, organizations like NIST um, for the explicit purpose of reducing uh, wind hazard and, and seismic hazards uh, effects, uh, NEHRP and NWERP, uh, respectively. And um, in that, the director from the National Science Foundation in charge of um, engineering, I need to look this up because I always mispronounce her name, uh, testified. And it was really amazing to hear the support from from the highest levels of, of the government that are in charge of this kind of thing. Um, the the advocacy for, for NERI and, and other programs in this uh, you know, wide effort to help our society be more resilient to hazards. So uh, here we go. The assistant director of the NSF engineering directorate, Susan Margulis. Uh, Mar Margulis, man, her last name is complex. But uh, Susan, Dr. Dr. Margulis is just fantastic and speaks really well. The, the whole recording is about an hour and a half long. So you, if you want to just listen to her, uh, you can skip around on, on YouTube, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll throw throw a link down here. We can put in the show notes uh, yeah. for that. If you want to go more more deeply onto it. So, yeah, yeah. and I actually <laughs> noticed on the Design Safe front page that um, the Nary researchers are featured in a new in a PBS um, online show recently. Yeah, so that's it's, pretty cool it's too. Really, really good. Um, yeah, that. Oh gosh, I. Um, Home Diagnosis really is fun. the name of the show, home, I guess. Yeah, Home Diagnosis. Hmm. Uh, it's all on, on YouTube as well. Uh, or I think it would be airing on, on PBS uh, soon if it's not already. Um, but yeah, there are so many Nary, I mean, every Nary facility had uh, the film crew come out, uh, the husband and wife team who uh, you know talk about uh, emerging technologies in, uh, in buildings and especially around homes um, and talking about how we're working on uh, helping people's houses and communities be more resilient to all hazards. So there's, there's just tons of really cool stuff in that show. That sounds like very, very cool stuff. Well, you mentioned technologies, but uh, Colby was also talking about they're bringing new technologies 
to the critical infrastructure and geohazard repair industries. Um, so they work, and again, the, the word remediate and mitigate, because he talked about the fact you can't really fix stuff. Um, you know, it, it's never 100% fixed, but right. mitigating it, getting past it, and you know that well, Dan, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, with, <clears throat> yeah, there's, there's really no kind of getting around at least a percentage of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you like cement all of the cliffs in the country, I'm not even sure that would work. Or stop building roads around. next to them. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, and stop having houses on top of them. It might work mm -hmm. too. But, you know, they want to remediate landslides because that's one of their main things with the technology uh, that they've developed to mitigate future land and rock slides. They've done like 4,800 completed geohazard repairs in the wow. last 19 years. And and a lot of what they did, well, they're all over the place too. They're international. So Canada, Australia, all over the place. So it, it's mm -hmm. not just here in the U.S., but um, that's a lot. But, you know, they're also looking at it from our perspective as first responders because they're the ones that are called, hey, we got to get this road open. <laughs> mm -hmm. What can you do? And again, you know that one well. Um, so slope stability or foundation problems are what they do. And they love doing it, apparently. They have a lot of fun with it. So looking at, well, you know, I always think about homes in California right on the cliff where the ocean is just kind of sliding down into the ocean <laughs> every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that a problem with the structure or is that a problem with where they put this home? Or both? Um, yeah. I mean, for, um, in a situation like that, it's more, um, on the decision of where to site home and, and either through not fully understanding or willing to accept the risk, um, of, of the potential hazards there. And that's a lot of what, um, what Neri does is work to quantify and understand, um, these different hazards so that we can make more informed decisions on, on where to site new homes, new, new pieces of infrastructure, things like that. And to the greatest extent practical, mitigate the ones that we've already built. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. So I'm envisioning that cliff as it's starting to come apart. And this was Jamie's most favorite part in that podcast. And I'm, I'm sort of trying to envision this. Uh, the, the soil nail launcher. Jamie, I'm going to let you have this one. Well, I, no, and it, it's... <laughs> It is an amazing piece of technology when you think about it, and in that, and I'm curious, you know, if if, if your um, if your earthquake uh, simulators have ever tried to simulate stabilizing a hillside during an earthquake uh, or prior to an earthquake or during before aftershocks with soil nail launchers, <laughs> because slamming 20 foot long pieces of steel pipe into a, a soil hillside to stabilize the erosion 
of the soil, I imagine, would probably work for a lot of different things, not just water-caused landslides. Yeah. I would think. Uh, yeah, I'm, look, I'm, I'm gonna... looking through our, our data sets to see if we have anything. And actually, funnily enough, um, we, there was a, a presentation from uh, someone, uh, a contracting engineering firm, to UT Austin, to Portland, Portland State, to Arizona State, um, about um, you know shoring up and uh, sites and ground improvement and things like that. And one of the things they talked about was was soil nail. So yeah, we've, we've uh, hmm. I don't think they've done uh, testing with it, but we had you know industry people talking about it uh, for sure. I could see you having fun with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of really, like, really interesting research that goes on in, in this space. Like, um, there's a not if this is actually for landslides or more uh, liquefaction mitigation, um, but there was a, a researcher that actually looked at how um, we can have bio-inspired designs. Like, this is a wider, wider topic, but they 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 took that to say, hmm, let's look at things like snakeskin. And looking at a installing a pile with frictional directionality, right? So you can slide it in really easily one way, but you can't take it out um, easily the other way. So improving things like soil nails for the soil nail cannon um, with these, you know, kind of state of the art um, uh, science uh, concepts and technology. So that's like kind of like snakeskin and sharkskin too, where, you know, it's smooth uh-huh. in one direction, rough in the other direction. So that, right. you know, things don't adhere to sharkskin very easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So this was actually a test they did at the geotechnical centrifuge at, at UC Davis. They took a, a really big, long pile with uh, basically like machined uh, segments into it and, you know, driving it in with different lengths and heights and, uh, and things like that, and then measuring their um, their pullout um, force, like how how much force it took to pull them out of the sand. Um, the friction really cool. holding it, to, the friction holding it in versus what the force is to pull it out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I was, you know, we didn't want to get too deep because we had other things to talk about with him, but I just wondered how all of those pipes stabilized. You know, a potential landslide. Well, I think it yeah, works well, similarly about... to like roots uh, was what I was envisioning. The roots Bingo. of plants. Um, and you're no. just simulating the root structure that forms a lattice inside the soil to hold the soil in place. So that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well, and, that makes sense. And we come yeah. we come to one of the reasons landslides happened in the first place is is our our uh, effects on the on the natural environment as humans. Um, of in in a lot in many cases, landslides are uh, more likely to happen when we have impacted the natural vegeta- vegetation in a place that then has more rain, or it, in some cases, um, you know, a natural process like a wildfire is increasingly um, impacted by um, you know the changing climate and things like that. We're having more of them and bigger of them, and then we have really large impacts of um, debris flow and landslides after after wildfires because of the change in the, the right. soil chemistry. Yeah, and there's nothing to hold it together. 
<laughs> and this is actually a, a paper that I'm going to send you here too that was really interesting from the University of Washington team, um, Joe Wortman leading that, about how they looked at the the soil actually forms this coating after wildfires that repels water instead of letting it be absorbed into the ground. And so when you get heavy rains like we do in Oregon and Washington every year after after wildfire season, instead of that soaking into the ground and, and everything being fine, it runs off, runs downhill, collects mud, mud and debris and all sorts of things and, and can be, you know, life-threatening as it rushes downhill. Well, and that makes sense because of the way ash flakes forms flakes rather than powder. And mm-hmm. and if anybody's ever tried to put a campfire out with a bucket of water, if you don't stir it, you don't really do get any penetration with the water at all. Absolutely. Hmm. So that makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so the, like- the really cool thing with, with things like this is that um, – you know, there's there's really smart people like Joe and and the rest of the Rapid team looking at um, what happens after wildfires and how to improve things like landslide warning systems in Oregon and Washington, and and looking at um, not just looking at weather conditions or um, things like that have produced landslides in the past, but accounting for the effects of fires and the size of the fire and and how that happens, and so looking at uh, not just data from California, because the climate, the geology, the vegetation is different from the Pacific Northwest, um, mm-hmm. but but really paying attention to the, the data that's that's present um, in the Pacific Northwest, um, and, and then informing uh, you know early warning systems and uh, and things like that appropriately. Yeah, one thing Colby t- told us I thought was interesting. You, you obviously know the effects of the excessive rain, um, and I don't know if there's even a way to mitigate that properly, that it isn't going to have some effect, um, negative effect, unfortunately. But he was even talking about drought, and in a drought, the gluing effect, um, Jamie, you might have to help me out here, but the gluing effect from the hillside gets lost mm. a bit. Jamie, because of the lack because of the lack of moisture in the soil. Oh, that makes right. sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that, makes that sense. creates a problem as well. So whether you got mm-hmm. excessive rainfall or drought, which California certainly has had both. Oh yeah. Um you're gonna have those issues. So and I can imagine flows. I can imagine the Nary research on how to identify problem spots better. Yeah. would be useful to a team you know brought in for like their team with the the soil nail launcher or other mitigation tools could come in and stabilize some of these things before disaster happens mm-hmm. if Nary's able to adequately identify potential landslide locations before they happen right i mean right cuz they GSI gets called when there's an issue but it's not. It would be nice to get in there before there's an issue, <laughs> right, Jamie? Right. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, they talked a lot about working with other responders. Has there been any association with GSI and Nary up until now? I don't know everything. Together? Everything that's going on in Nary, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me <laughs> if there was. Well, and they um, definitely mentioned nail launchers 
the the yeah so the i think that there's probably some crossover there because that was a technology that they brought to the forefront so um he yeah. was, he talked about that a good bit so that would be interesting um but yeah this it, it is it is fun to bring two topics together on the show like this and and mm-hmm. see how they they mesh in making our infrastructure stronger, whether it's our roads, our um, foundations of our homes, um, the hillsides nearby, uh, all of these things to stave off problems before they happen and to recognize them and maybe make better decisions about where we build and as well as, you know, fixing problems after the fact. Yeah, it, it seems like the goals are the same. Um, you know, is, is keeping people safe. It's mm-hmm. kind of the bottom line. Infrastructure resilience and cliff resilience and evacuate, uh, you know, excavation, shoring, all those kinds of things. But you made a good point, Jamie, that they just don't go out there and look for cliffs that might fall down. I mean, they don't. They don't, they don't get paid to do that. <laughs> well, no, and they don't come out until somebody calls them. And by then, there's already an issue where right. Mary could say, hey, you might want to look at this. Of course, someone would have to pay them to fix it or mitigate it. Mm-hmm. The work. So, right, and that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's actually a really good example of, of how, um, how our outreach could even be improved of, you know, Finding the GSIs of the world that are are usually called in for these um, you know, mitigations, and and you know advocate for the data sets that our teams are putting out all the time. Say, hey, you know, it's prob- publicly available, freely available. It's it's you know any anybody who wants to look at it can, um, and you know letting them know that that's that's a resource that they should check in on regularly and. Um, and and take advantage of. Yeah, and I'm going to obviously tell Colby that we did this follow up because I mentioned you on his. Yeah, podcast. and if Colby ever like it, like we all like a lot of the NERI facilities uh, also partner with industry all the time to to do research and to and to test things. Um, and so if there's a a way to to collaborate, you know, we can, we can definitely introduce him to to the folks at uh, at the Rapid or at the Geotechnical Centrifuge or. Uh, you know, folks like that that might be might be interested to work together with them. And you yeah, said, that'd be great. And you said something interesting, Dan, that I think we need to continually reiterate is that this data is freely available and out there for people to grab a hold of and, and look at anytime they want to, which is one of the things I think is the coolest part of NARI is how accessible your data sets are. Um, it's something I think you all should be very proud of. Yeah, and they go back um, quite a number of years now. Um, e- even to pre NERI, there was another another organization focused just on on earthquakes called NEES. Um, and even those data sets are are in our our repository on on the Design Safe um, website. And so you can go back all the way to 2006 2007 um, for for earthquake hazards, and then a little bit more recently, I think 2016 is when we started incorporating uh, wind hazards. Um, into it, so there are, yeah, there's just so much data there, um, and it's and it's being updated all the time. Um, there's tools like uh, the HazMapper, which is is really interesting. Like if you want to look at what a landslide looks like from a Neary data set, um, you know you can. I'm looking at one now from Haines, Alaska. They 
they went out there and had like drones fly over with lidar scanners mounted to them and you can actually look at a point cloud which was uh, paired together with imagery taken and you can actually take measurements on a hillside and a and a house and trees and roads uh from this landslide that happened and having wow. never been there yourself wow well lidar is pretty cool stuff uh, yeah <laughs> with a it's, lot it's of pretty uses. amazing it is pretty amazing. Well, and that's but one that of the things what... that, that I, I know you all tra are starting to track is how often your data is accessed and and oh yeah yeah and and, and are able to show how useful it's become for the industry as a whole, um, both in the research side and in the practical application side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's so hard that's what to we want, right? Is this, you know, data is. Uh is only as useful as, as the, the impact that it has and, and you know where and how it gets reused. And the people know it's there, because that's why- And I'm, the people know it's there, know, right? <laughs> right, I mean, it's hard for me to believe that GSI wouldn't know about and take advantage of that large database of information, but you never know, you know? You'd be surprised who, like, what kind of people you think, oh, this is obvious to them, they of course know this, and then, They've never heard of us. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, um, even in even the, in, in terms of the, the amazing investment that the National Science Foundation has made in, in NARI um, and how long we've been around, uh, yeah, still we're still just a, just a drop in the bucket uh, as, as good of an impact as, as we're having um, in terms of uh, in the overall scientific community. There, we're, we're, we're fairly small. <laughs> So question, well, maybe we can NASA. fix that. As we get kind of towards the end of the show here, Dan, I'll give you a chance to, you know, is there anything on the horizon that Nary's got coming up that you're pretty excited about? Yeah, we're pretty excited about in May, uh, we're having our next Nary Researcher Summit. Uh, so if you're a natural hazards person, um, you know, in, in, in academic research at all, um, you, can, you can go on our, our website and, and register for that. Uh, come out and talk to the PIs and uh, and other other folks who are doing NARI research, and, and we'll be in Washington D.C. for that. Um, and there's a, uh, a number of workshops for for each of the facilities coming up. Um, one of my favorites every year that uh, I haven't been to in a little while, um, but is the um, the Rapid Workshop up in up in Seattle. Every summer they have a, a workshop where you can you can see how to fly a drone and, and learn about LIDAR and how that works and uh, all sorts of really interesting things. Um, so oh, well, you're not going to uh, be that, that far from me. You're down in, down in uh, University of Maryland college park. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. We also have the uh, 10th national conference on wind engineering coming up in March. Uh, there'll be some NERI folks there. Um, if you're a, an NSF person listening, we'll be at the uh, NSF Research Infrastructure Workshop end of March. Um, yeah, uh, and then earthquake folks who are listening, we will be uh, having a booth at the um, EERI annual meeting in April, and that's up, up in Seattle. Uh, so we're always sending sending folks to conferences and and doing workshops and uh, and all sorts of things outside of the um, um, normal research uh, that we do as well. So. Um, Again, I we'll gotta put a know link something. to our our calendar here. 
that we can put in the show notes. But for those those listening or those who like me tend to don't look at podcast show notes outside of this <laughs> one. Like, um, so you go to designsafe-ci.org and then uh, under the NARI community tab, we have the uh, community calendar. You can see everything that's coming up uh, in terms of the conferences we're going to and workshops that are going on and, and things like that. Exciting. But I got to know, Dan, do you still have a wind tunnel in your garage? Not anymore. There are so many people who can't even answer not anymore to that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, exactly. I do have a scaled model building of, uh, of, of a Neary project called Tallwood though, uh, that, that we take to conferences. Uh, but yeah, the rest the rest of the demo materials we have at, at other universities and not in my garage. <laughs> well, that's thankfully. Good. I guess that's a good thing. There's a limit yeah. to what we're allowed to store in our garages, right, Dan? There sure is. Yeah, I don't have room for a, a, a nail cannon or a, or a wind tunnel at the moment. Or a vehicle. <laughs> or a vehicle. No. <laughs> Well, Dan, thanks for uh, coming on the fun, show. I, 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 we always appreciate having you. And we always find, appreciate hearing what Nary's up to uh, with their various research centers. And um, we'll definitely be watching out for opportunities to get you back on as um, the hurricane season ramps up here later this spring and other, other situations like tornadoes and uh, situations happen around the country. We'll, we'll definitely connect with you. Yeah, as, as always, we you know uh, the, the times that we get to talk are not, aren't always necessarily the uh, most fun times for people in the world, but uh, just uh, highlights all the important work that uh, people that we're involved with do, and 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 how important that is. So, uh, you know, great, grateful for the opportunity anytime we get to chat. And I want to thank uh, the folks over at Paragon Medical Education Group for sponsoring the show. Dr. Joe couldn't be on the show tonight, but uh, I want you to remember that they can provide a customizable training program that'll focus on the specific disaster issues that might face your community and help your responders be prepared for that once-in-a-career incident so that they're better able to serve your community. So reach out to them at paragonmedicalgroup.com. And, of course, you can also always connect with them over at DisasterPodcast.com and at our Facebook group, Disaster Podcast Facebook group over on Facebook. So um, I will leave it at that. Sam, thanks for putting this together and uh, bringing two great episodes together um, on one similar topic here. Yes. I thought that one could be fun, and Dan always makes it fun. So there you go. We'll look for the next one with Mr. Dan. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Jamie.